0: we don't even look like we're out there competing you are locked on fantasy basketball your daily podcast on fantasy basketball part of the locked on podcast network your team every day Welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast brought to you by Fantrax, Basketball Monster. And today's episode of Locked On Fantasy Basketball is also brought to you by SeatGeek. Download the mobile app for the easiest way to buy tickets and use the promo code LOFantasy to get you a $20 rebate on your first purchase. My name is Josh Lloyd, as it always is. And if you want, you can follow me on Twitter at RedRockBBall. I also encourage you to follow the Basketball Monster Twitter account, which is at BaskMonster, B A S K Monster. Um, over on the Basketball Monster Twitter account, we tweet out things as soon as they happen. Line-up decisions. So today when Jonas Valanciunas was scratched, we had that out immediately. You yeah, the news and you, and you can see exactly what's happening. Starting lineups: who's in, who's out, the questionable players, the doubtful players. Rudy Gay went from doubtful to playing in the matter of, you know, 20 minutes or so, um, so check that out. Turn on notifications for Basketball Monster, especially if you're playing DFS. It's a great idea to turn that on, and when something happens, you'll get a, a notification on your phone. Shit, something's going on. Let's uh, let's work out what's actually happened. So we tweet out, we tweet out all that stuff over on Basketball Monster as well. And of course, you can ask me questions over at Redrock underscore b-ball. Basketball is happening. Obviously, we've got. Sunday's games to have a look at we've got Monday's games to preview we've got a week ahead to look at for helping with weekly lineups for streaming options for the week ahead we've got signings we've got some injuries we've got lots of stuff happening so let's get to it to it all right let's talk about the uh, about the week ahead we'll start off with the, the schedule analysis and and for this week coming up which is week three we've got a, a pretty decent spread of games on Monday we've got seven games coming up Tuesday 6. Wednesday 11, Thursday 4, Friday 8, Saturday 11, Sunday 5. Now, you know when I like to look at this, the default option on Basketball Monster for quality games, and if you don't know what a quality game is, it means a game where there's fewer NBA games being played that night, meaning that a guy that you might add on that day, you're going to be able to activate. Now, the default we have over on Basketball Monster is 5, but for my leagues, I set it as 8. And that's for a standard league where you've got 10 actives and 3 bench spots. It changes a little bit depending on if you've, say, got 5 starters and 10 bench or whatever you like to do, then then uh, that quality game number changes. But I set it at 8 because on most nights if there's 8 games, or definitely if there's less than 8 games, so 6 or 7 games, you will be able to get a player off the waiver of wire and use them. Right with five, you definitely can, but with six and seven, 99% of the time you can use it, and with eight as well, about 96 to 97% of the time, completely made up statistic, around that amount, you'll be able to use that guy. So I always set it to eight. So anything over eight is a non-streaming type of day. So when we look at this week's schedule, Wednesday, if you're adding anyone on a Wednesday, if you're looking at teams that have got back-to-backs that include Wednesday or Tuesday, Wednesday or Wednesday, Thursday, it's one game. Because on Wednesday there's 11 games and you probably aren't going to be able to use that guy. Same on Saturday, you've got 11 games. So a Friday-Saturday back-to-back is one game. A Saturday-Sunday back-to-back is one game. Monday-Tuesday is great. Thursday-Friday is great. But they're the only two back-to-backs where you get a double, a double hit. At guys, the games, the days that include Wednesdays or Saturdays and maybe Fridays. That really, that's eight games. So that really depends. On how your lineup looks, on how your roster looks, whether you'll be able to use that guy on an eight, an eight game day. Most likely you will be, but as always with everything in fantasy basketball, it depends on your team. It depends how your, your structure of your league is set up, depends what players you've got on your team. But as a general rule, you'll be able to use them on a Friday. So we're looking at Wednesday and Saturday as being the two shit days that don't really count in terms of when we look at teams that are playing it. And if you add someone on those days, you're most likely not going to be able to use them and you might have them sitting on your bench. Let's look at the teams and the games they play this week. With the four games, there's a lot of teams that play for no five game weeks this week. We had five game week last week with the Kings, none this week. A lot of four game a lot of four game teams. The, the Blazers, the Pelicans, the Warriors, the Lakers, the Pacers, the Wolves, Wizards, Jazz, Suns, Bulls, Pistons, Nuggets, Clippers, Magic, Thunder, Sixers, and Hornets. So, half the league, over half the league, is playing four games this week. So, there's going to be a lot of games floating around in your fantasy league. For a three-game week, we've got the Spurs, we've got the Kings, Knicks, Nets, Cavs, Hawks, Celtics, Raptors, Heat, and Rockets. And on the, uh, the lower end of the scale... We've got the two-game weeks, the Memphis Grizzlies, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Dallas Mavericks. They've all got two games this week. Look at those two-game week teams. The only guy out of probably all those teams that you really want to deal with in in a weekly setting is Giannis. I don't think you want Mike Conley. I don't think you want Marcus Sol necessarily. Maybe you do, depends on your team. You definitely don't want any, want any Nuggets guys. Jabari in Milwaukee, you don't want anything to do with him or Greggy Monroe or Matty Delvadova. I don't think any of those guys you want really anything to do with. So they're, they're out of consideration. The three game ones, it's just sort of your standard, standard guys for all those teams. But in the four game weeks, you'll get some guys who, who might not be must play guys. They so say like Lou Williams for the lakers the lakers have got four games he'd be a guy that you'd look to lock into a, into a weekly into a weekly lineup because of the four games your gibson if he was if you were deciding about him the bulls have got four games you can lock him into a weekly lineup dario saric in philadelphia they've got four games maybe he was on the borderline for you so you can you can look at using guys like that ns Cantor in oklahoma city these sort of players in that four game week who may be borderline you can uh, you can consider using them the three-game week ones, it, 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 it depends on how your team looks, but with the majority of the league playing four, there'll be there'll be quite a few uh, three-game guys that, that you don't lock into a lineup this week. When we look at it from a, a daily changes league point of view, there's differences between four-game weeks. So say the Portland Trail Blazers, they play four games, but three of those are on schedule-friendly days. So you go add a Blazers player... Yeah, with your limited acquisitions for the week, Mo Harkless, um, Evan Turner, Alan Crabb, uh, Ed Davis, maybe. You've got three games that I classify as quality games. They play Tuesday, bang. They play Friday, that's an eight-game day, so that depends. Sunday, easy. They play Wednesday as well. That's the one where you won't use them. So you get three games out of them. The Bulls, on the other hand, they play two games on the, the bad day. So two of their four are on Wednesday and Saturday, so you won't be able to use those guys. The Hornets, they play three games on quality quality days, Monday, Friday, and uh, Sunday. They play one on Wednesday, but they play against the Pacers. They play against the Jazz. They play against the Raptors. They play against the Cavs. So they've got tough matchups. So it's not an ideal scenario matchup-wise for them this week at all. And then you look at teams like in the three-game week. The Sacramento Kings play three games, but all three of those games are on on days when you, where you can use those players. Omri Caspi, Matty Barnes, who played a pretty big role today. You can add them and get actually three games out of them this week. Whereas a team like Brooklyn has three games this week, but you would add a player that might be someone like, maybe it's Trevor Booker, who's not owned in your league, but you might be able to use him once. It might be Sean Kilpatrick, who I do recommend adding anyway, but you might be able to use him once. The same situation with these three-game teams. The Spurs have got one game that's really usable this week. The Knicks do, the Nets do, the Hawks do, the Celtics do, the Raptors do, the Rockets do. So all of those teams, they're not in a, in a great situation for streaming those players in. You can get them on that one day, but there's one game available for those guys. Whereas the, the three-game teams that, that are in a good spot are, are the Kings, as I mentioned, and the Cleveland Cavaliers. And there's not a lot of value, though, on the on the Cavs. But if J.R. Smith's around, which he could, could very well be, you add him because you you will be able to get three games out of J.R. Smith this week. Maybe you get three games out of Iman Shumpert, although that's that's hardly appealing. Maybe you're desperate for threes and you can get three games out of Channing Frye, and he can give you eight threes in his three games. That's a possibility as well. So it's it's never a case, and this I talk about this all the time on the show. It's never a case of four games good, three games bad. You'll have some bad four-game weeks. You'll have some good three-game weeks. Like, the Kings play three games, and in a daily-changer setting, it's probably better than Philadelphia's four games for a waiver-wire player because Philly's got two games on heavy schedule days. The Kings have none. So you might add a Kings player and use them three times. You might add a Sixers player and use them twice. And in the end, those four games for Philly is pointless. You could say the same thing. That the other teams on four-game days who play only two quality games The Pacers, the Wolves, the Wizards, the Jazz, the Suns, the Bulls, the Pistons, the Clippers, the Sixers. All of those teams only have two games, two usable games. Whereas, as I mentioned, the Kings and the Cavs, they have three usable games and only play three games during the week. So there is a bit of a difference there with those guys. Now, the Pelicans are the only team to open up the week with a back-to-back. And that's awesome because Monday and Tuesday are both light days. And with the news of Lance Stevenson going down, there could be some value for some of these guys. Langston Galloway's played big minutes the last couple of games, so he's he's in play for this start of the week. Now, it's a shit matchup against Golden State on Monday, no doubt about that, but then they play the Kings in the second game, so that's a tasty one. So if Tim Frazier's been dropped, which he could have been in situations, stream him, get the two games out of him, and, and then maybe you move on. Galloway's worth it. Do we look at Archie Goodwin, who just was signed today? I don't know if he's going to have much of an impact on Monday. And I don't know if he's going to have much of an impact long-term. The amount of tweets I got and messages today and emails today about Archie Goodwin. Or should I add Archie Goodwin in that 12-team league? Should I drop Brandon Knight for Archie Goodwin? I think we need to calm down a bit on Archie Goodwin. He is a solid player. He's younger than Buddy Heald, which I found out today, which is amazing to me, considering he's been in the league three years already. He's still eight months younger than Buddy Heald. So not even marginally younger, almost a full year younger than Buddy Heald. But he put up usable numbers, barely usable numbers last season, when Phoenix was without Eric Bledsoe, without Brandon Knight, and he was playing point guard and playing about 40 minutes a night. He's going to come into New Orleans. Yes, they've got their guard issues with, uh, with Holiday and Evans out, but he's not going to come in, take over the point guard role and run for 40 minutes a night. He's going to play that Lancey Stevenson sort of role, probably even less as Galloway takes some of those, some of those minutes from Stevenson, I would imagine. And maybe he gets to 20, Archie Goodwin, and that's going to be not all that good. But, you know, in a 14 team league with this early, early week back to back, it's great. You a know, so Galloway, Fraser. Um, obviously Terence Jones in play, Solomon Hill perhaps, maybe Omar Ashik who's played about 55 minutes in the last two games and I think scored a point, two points maybe in those two games but he can get some rebounds, maybe he helps your field goal percentage. So that's the team that you want to be um, you want to be targeting earlier on in the week. Um, the Kings are the only team that play a back-to-back on Thursday, Friday but as I mentioned that Thursday, Friday back-to-back is not a good situation, it doesn't it doesn't really help anybody because those guys aren't going to be able to, uh, to to play. Actually, no, sorry, that's not true. Thursday, Friday is a decent one because you can use the guys on Thursday, Friday. My mistake there. So yeah, Barnes, Caspi, Koufos, um, Ty Lawson, who who might be dropped. And to be honest, there is a, there is a risk that Ty Lawson's not even on the team by this time because Darren Collison's back and. It's going to come down to Jordan Farmer and Ty Lawson, and Lawson has been far from appealing. He could easily be gone, and I don't think we've got any concerns about Darren Collison getting this starting job back off Ty Lawson at this point. Maybe it takes a game or two, but I don't think there should be any concern about Darren Collison with the way that Ty Lawson has played. But he might be dropped. You might be able to use him on that Thursday, Friday, back-to-back and get... Maybe he plays 24 minutes, 25 minutes, um, because it's clear that Dave Jaeger doesn't have a massive amount of faith in the shooting guards, and I say this a lot too: Ben McLemore, Aaron Aflala, Garrett Temple. These guys are terrible. So you could see a Lawson-Collison backcourt, which is very undersized, but we we very well might see that at times. So that's that's a way to target those um, target those games for for this week. It, it is it is key that it's not volume, and you can check all this out on Basketball Monster using the schedule analyzer. You set your own limits for um uh, for for quality games and the way that i like to do it this is how I, I look at it i've got 10 actives and three bench spots Now, i don't have the calculation in my head but i work out what that is as a percentage what's 10 10 out of 13 what percent is it all right so then i then i work out say it's say it's 80 percent which i think it's 83 but I, I don't remember exactly so i use that as the as the percentage marker and then i go what's What's eighty-three percent of what's the maximum NBA games that can be on a day? 15. All right. So what's what's eighty-three percent of that? I think it comes to eleven. And then I take a couple a couple down off that one and go, that's that's my limit. Yeah, you know, because you know your team's not going to be evenly distributed with players across all teams. Um, and you know, if there's this many games played, that's that percentage of active guys should translate to your active and bench guys. So I always drop it down. But if you've got a five, five, eight split, five active, eight bench and you've got you know, 30% active, what's 30% of 15? It's it's a, a lower figure. So your, your quality game number then comes down to maybe four, maybe it's five. And that's the way that, as a general rule, I tend to look at it that way, um, just to give me an idea. And when I said it, because you know, the, the default's not going to work for everybody because it does differ significantly based on how your split is, what your roster size is. What your bench is and when your active spots and the ratio between those two. So that's the way that I look at it. I hope that's helpful. Um, if you want, if you've got any other queries about that, tweet at me and we can uh, we can discuss that further. But that's the way that I like to look at that. All right, let's uh, let's talk now, which is a, a great segue talking about the schedule for the week, and that's SeatGeek because if you've got the schedule in front of you, you can look at some NBA games that you might want to go to. Now, if you're, you're in Australia like me and you're stuck in Australia and you can't go to any NBA games. Well, that's unfortunate. So we watch it on TV, but we can use SeatGeek to see other things. But if you're living over in the states, um, first of all, I'm sorry that you have to deal with this this election crap that's on every day. It's almost over, so you can uh, you can be free of the. Hopefully, hopefully the result works out in everyone's favour over there. I don't want to get political, but hopefully, I just want it over anyway. What was I talking about? I'm talking about SeatGeek because over on on over on SeatGeek, you can get tickets for the NBA. The season's back. We're in full swing. SeatGeek's the easiest way to find tickets to, to any game that you want to see, whether you live in Indianapolis and you want to go see the Pacers, whether you live in New York and you want to go see the Knicks, or if you're unfortunate enough, you can go see the Nets. Apologies to Nets fans if there's any listening. Uh, I know there is actually because I know I know Stepan is listening, who is the largest Jeremy Lin slash Brooklyn Nets homer. I'm sure he's a brand-new Brooklyn Nets fan this year, but shout-out to you, Steppen. You can you can If you live in these cities... Go to an NBA game and do it on SeatGeek. It's never been easier to get the seats that you want for great value. SeatGeek has the best deals on every ticket in the house, wherever you want to sit. That could be court it could be club seats, could be upper level. Wherever it is, SeatGeek has got you sorted. Get the SeatGeek app on your phone. It's the easiest way to shop for tickets. Wherever you are, open it up, a few little taps on the screen, and you can easily find tickets for any game that's coming up. With SeatGeek you always get the best deal on every ticket because SeatGeek price compares for you. They search multiple ticket sites and find the best price. Prices vary depending on where you shop but SeatGeek takes that, takes that variable out of it and tells you where the lowest ticket is. SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why with every SeatGeek ticket, it's graded based on value. You'll immediately see immediately see any underpriced tickets and be able to find the best deals to fit your budget. Every ticket on SeatGeek is backed by their 100% guarantee. And best of all, you guys, my listeners, you get a hundred not hundred you get you get hundred percent guarantee, but you get a twenty dollar rebate on your first SeatGeek purchase. To get your twenty dollar rebate on tickets, you download the app. It takes two seconds. You go to the settings tab. You click add a promo code. Two seconds. Add the promo code, which is L fantasy, and SeatGeek sends you twenty bucks after you've made your first ticket purchase. That's easy, isn't it? Download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code LOFANTASY fantasy today. And it's great when you guys do support the sponsors of this podcast because it shows them that the audience is engaged and you're willing to support um, to support this show and support them. And it's as simple, literally, as downloading the app, registering, entering a promo code. And then you know you never know when you're going to need it. Hey, shit! I want to go to an NBA game tonight. Oh my god! I've got SeatGeek. Let's get a ticket. What's this? Fifteen dollars tickets. Bang! We're there. Let's go and do it that way. You support the show. You save money yourself. You get twenty dollars back. It's a it's an absolute must win, must win, All win win win. That's that's the phrase I'm looking for. Monstrous line of the night. Now, CJ McCollum had struggled a little bit this season, but the last couple of games, he's really kicked it up a notch. He had 37 points against the Grizzlies. They had no way to stop him, basically. He hit six triples. He had four rebounds, two assists, a steal, and a block. 13 of 23 from the field, and he hit five of six free throws. One thing that has happened this season, which was very predictable, his assist numbers have dropped. They've almost halved from last season, and that's why I was a little bit weary about CJ McCollum coming into this season. Not weary. I thought he was great value in that. 40-ish range, but there's a lot of people touting him for he's going to be a top 20 guy. And I was just, okay, let's let's calm it down a little bit because in order to do that, he's going to need to increase his scoring significantly and he's going to need to increase his efficiency significantly. And for the time being, he actually has. The scoring's gone up and the efficiency's gone up. I think he's at 46% from the field on the season, but the assists have dropped a lot. I imagine the efficiency comes back a little bit and the assists actually stay where they are with the presence of Evan Turner and the ball wing run through Mason Plumley a little bit more. So McCollum's probably going to settle in that 35 to 50 range, and that's fine. He'll average 20 points, he'll get you a lot of triples, he'll be a decent field goal percentage guy, but I don't imagine it holding at above 46%, but he's turned it around after a little bit of a slow start, but if you're relying upon those assists, those 4.5 assists that he gave last season, I think uh, think you're going to be a little bit disappointed in, in that sense. But otherwise, I don't think you can be really too disappointed with what McCollum's done. Especially today, which is always great to get a big performance on a Sunday at the end of a weekly matchup. The waiver wire line of the night: Emmanuel Mudiay. I don't know how many of you guys watch this game, but even if you if you if you haven't watched it, just go and watch the first quarter of the of the Nuggets and the Celtics. Emmanuel Mudiay, famously known for not being able to shoot, for being a guy who who destroys your field goal percentage, couldn't miss. 24 points in the first quarter. He had 30 for the game, including three triples. He had eight rebounds, two assists, a steal and a block on 11 of 18 shooting. Now, Mike Malone, we're going to talk about him a little bit later. But Mike Malone, you know, before the game, was hinting, oh, we're going to make a lineup change. I'm not telling you who it is, because oh, you're a tricky prick, Mick. You you, you are tricky. You, you definitely tricked us all. We're going to make a lineup change. And some of the, the, the scuttlebutt was, okay, Nikola Jokic might go to the bench. Maybe Emmanuel Moutier is going to lose his job because he played 24 minutes the game before and Jameer Nelson played 30 plus, despite the fact that he's 36 years old. Maybe Moutier, who's been struggling, is going to go to the bench, which would be a dumb decision, but it could have happened. Instead, Moutier went out there and was electric, really, and that sort of performance is amazing. I use him as the waiver wire line of the night because some of you may be surprised he's owned in 67% of leagues and I had people ask me "Tell, oh, do I add Moody? Like what? What's he doing?" Like oh, you shouldn't I don't think you should have dropped him by any stretch earlier on this season, you knew that the field goal percentage was going to be a concern with Moutier. I don't think there's anyone who went in going, you know what, is going to give me 50%, let's go with that. That, It just wasn't going to happen. So you knew that was going to be a concern. But the minutes were there, and yeah, look, if he lost his job and moved to the bench and had to play three weeks as the backup, then you go, well, there's no point me holding. Even if he went to the bench, I wouldn't have dropped him. I said, look, this can't hold. They're not going to run Jameer Nelson out here for the next 75 games and start him. It's just not going to be the case. But Moutier is available in some leagues. It's not going to help everybody, but he's around, and he is going to rack up some scoring. He's going to get you some assists. I think he's a good steals guy. He's, uh, his free throw percentage is better this season. He's an aggressive rebounder. He's a big guy. He, there, is a, there is hope for Moutier, and this is a, a pretty nice performance from him. If you want to hear some more about Emmanuel Moutier make sure you check out the locked on nuggets podcast uh Adam Maris of Denver Stiffs which you uh, you sh- guys should know is the uh, the number one Denver Nuggets blog on the internet is hosting this podcast i'm sure he'll have plenty to say about this nuggets game this blowout over the uh, the Celtics and he can talk about everything that's going on with Moody plus the front court issues plus the rotation concerns i know Adam's had a lot of uh, a lot of tweets about it so check out the locked on nuggets podcast listen to Adam talk about uh Talk about whatever's going on in Denver, including uh, including a big game from Emmanuel Mudiay, Manny, the young gun of the night. Chris Stapps, Just two in a row, two big ones in a row. Four for Stapps. 28 points, three triples, eight rebounds, one assist, two blocks. I yeah, uh, I like it. This this is this is why I drafted him in the second round of a lot of my leagues. This is why we, whenever I had pick one. With James Harden, I looked to grab Porzingis on the way back around. That farce of him shooting four times in a game was ludicrous. And full credit to the Knicks. Like they got beaten by the Jazz. Full credit to them realizing it's a shit idea. We need to fix this. Derek Rose has totaled 19 assists in the last two games. Jeff Hornacek's made it a point to get the ball to Chris Stapps, And he's responded really well. So... Great stuff from Chris Kristaps. He's a really, really good player. There's a, there's still got, a, still a little bit to go, but twenty-eight and eight with three threes and two blocks is a pretty significant. Um is a pretty significant stat line, and he's uh, he's definitely getting it done. Uh, shout out to Devin Booker, who was really close to getting the young gun of the night as well, as was Emmanuel Moutier. So when I look at my monstrous line of the night, the top four guys were McCollum, and then three second-year guys, Booker, Porzingis, and Moutier. So the, the young guys, and we know about the cream of the crop, we know about the uh, the talent that was in last year's draft class. It's clearly rising to the top again, and showing us just how good some of these guys can be. But Porzingis, that's two big games in a row, and we love that. The opposite of a big game was Brandon Knight. He had two points, which is better than the last couple of duds of the night. They had zero points. He had two points. He had one rebound. He had four assists, and he went one of eight from the field. There's a lot to be worried about with Brandon Knight. He has been marginalized. He is also not playing well, so that's a concern. And when you look at him, I don't think he's a drop just yet, but he is Definitely not a real buy low to me. I don't see him getting... I see him getting a bit better, but I don't see him getting marginally... I don't see him getting significantly better. Maybe that's a better way of phrasing it. I I would still hold, but it's a very tenuous hold. I've got him... It's like he's fallen off a cliff, and I'm grabbing him, and one finger's going at a time, and we're probably down to about two fingers that I'm holding on to at the moment. Because if he's going to continue to get minutes in the mid-20s, and then not be effective in them, and do nothing except hurt your fuel goal percentage, although four assists are nice, I'll, I'll grant him that, then there's what's the point with Brandon Knight? Not not a good night for him. Let's see how it works out. He'll be better than this at times. He won't be this bad, but will he ever bounce back to that top 60-ish type of player who we thought he could be? I'm a little bit doubtful, so he's not a drop for me. If someone drops him and I've got an expendable player, James Ennis, say, on my roster, sure, I make that switch immediately. But I don't I don't go and drop someone like Gary Harris to go and grab Brandon Knight. Um, I don't make that switch. I, I will look at it significantly if he gets dropped, but I won't uh, I'm not sacrificing uh, good players to, uh, to do that. All right, let's look at these games from Sunday. Let's dig into them in a bit of detail. That early game was the Utah Jazz and the New York Knicks. Gordy Haywood was back. I said I didn't think he'd be on any, any minutes issue, any minutes restriction. He wasn't. 36 minutes, 28 points, 5 rebounds, and 2 triples. Took 17 shots and went to the line 14 times. The worry about his shooting not quite being there was accurate. He was 6 from 17, but the 14 from 14 from the line is, is pretty awesome. And we know he's ready to go, locked in. You dealt with it for 2 weeks, he's, he's here. The best thing about Gordon Hayward's return is that it didn't affect George Hill. He went 23-2-9. and nine. The second best thing about Gordon Haywood returning is it didn't affect Rod Hood, who played 38 minutes and went 18-6-4. and four. So now we've got the blueprint. Yeah, it was a high-scoring game and they, they scored 114, but Hill, Hood, and Gordy can coexist. They can, they can handle the offensive load for this team, and they handled it brilliantly. That's a great performance from Hill, it's a great performance from Hood, it's a great performance from Gordy. Even Rudy Gobert got back into the action, 13-8 with three blocks. Big night from him, hit his free throws as well. Um, and even Derek Favors, 27 minutes. That's two games in a row with 27 for Derek, 13-6. and six. Not a great night, but still he's working back into it, and that's better than what he's been doing. Obviously, Joe Johnson moves from a 30-plus minute a night guy down to 24 in this one, 10-2-2, two two. so... If you were holding him in 12-team leagues, that's that's officially over now. Um, he, he moves to a 14, maybe 16-team league guy, and Trey Lyles played the 21 minutes. Remember when ESPN had Trey Lyles ranked 60th uh, at the start of the season? I'm not, not sure where that came from. 21 minutes for Trey Lyles, 5-2-1 and one there, and obviously there's no uh, there's no real need to own him, maybe even in 14-team leagues at the moment. We saw Joe Ingles cop a significant hit with Gordy back, Dante Exum lost minutes as well, and that's all to be expected. On to the Knicks, we talked about Paul Zingles already, and Derek Rose, 8 assists to go with 18 points and 4 rebounds. Yeah, sure, he still has some over-dribbling issues, but dishing 19 assists in the last two games when he was averaging two assists per game prior to that is a significant improvement. And he scored the ball efficiently. He's still going to lack threes. He's still going to be low on steals. But if he can give you 16 and say seven, I think you'd be happy with that as a, as a late pick and you were able to get him pretty late. Yeah, that's good. Now, does he keep playing this way? Um, we know he's got frustrations and a lot of the frustrations come from the triangle and from defensive side of things. But surely he's seeing that this type of play is actually working offensively. Him running the pick and roll, him driving and dishing, uh, and him using Porzingis in a way that if you get the board to Porzingis and he's got a matchup, it's over. Like People can't stop him. And it's, it is working well for them offensively. They just need to do more defensively. But Derek Rose... He's only owned in 84% of leagues. I'm not really sure what the other 16% are doing. I think he should be owned everywhere, despite him not being anywhere near his former self. He's looking better than he did in any of the last, say, three years in Chicago. Mallow's picked it up, 28-9 for Mallow. And Courtney Lee with 36 minutes. A decent night from Lee. Three steals, 10 points, and six rebounds. You know my take on him. He's a 14-teamer, not really a 12-teamer. Jokim Noah played a big amount against the Bulls. He went down to 20 minutes here. This is going to be the case for him all year, ups and downs all over the place. Four and five with a steal and a block. You own him, you know what the issues are, but there's going to be some consistency problems, no doubt. And one of the worst players in the NBA, Lance Thomas, played 29 minutes. So he's back in back in action there, five, two, and one after missing some time with a sprained ankle. That early season uh, situation with Justin Holiday appears to have um, dissipated. He was down to two points in 13 minutes, which is probably in line with the sort of player that he actually is, not the um, explosive guy we saw in those in that first game against the Cavs. is that the new iphone yeah got it on t-mobile fastest iphone deserves america's fastest lte network introducing the amazing iphone 8 it's the best iphone yet now on america's best unlimited network for a limited time save up to 300 on the amazing iphone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits and now join t-mobile's iphone upgrade program for free Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details. The next game was the second earlier game, the Portland Trailblazers and the Memphis Grizzlies. Dame Lillard took a bit of a back seat to McCollum. Only took 11 shots. Only hit three of them. 19-6-7 with two triples. Did get to the line 11 times and hit all 11 of those in a pretty decent performance. Mo Harkless was big. 34 minutes for Mo, 18 and seven with two blocks and two threes. But I've said this plenty of times. It is hard to rely upon him in 12 team leagues just because the minutes he might play 24 in one game as Alan Crabb gets 30 or Evan Turner gets 30. But he's the most productive out of those three guys, I think. And he does have the most ability to be a block steals and threes, a triple one sort of player. And that's a big night from him. So he's a guy to look at. Uh, Evan Turner played twenty three minutes and did not attempt a single shot, so that doesn't help you there. But you didn't draft Turner for point, points, points, points. Yeah. um, you you drafted him to get assists, and he got four of them. Unfortunately, he didn't get a rebound, which is also something he's normally strong at. But he did get a steal, uh, a decent, a decent performance, I guess, is the the best way of putting it from Turner. Nothing, nothing great, but in the four assists is useful. Alan Crab, he's not for me, and Alvaro Camino, eight and four. In his 34 minutes, onto the Grizz, Mike Conley was questionable with an Achilles issue, but before the game, he was spoken to, and he said, I, I don't really know why it was listed as questionable, I'm fine, I'm ready to go, and he was fine. 31 minutes, 16-4-7, and seven, two steals, two blocks, one triple, huge night. Mark Gasol, only 28 for Gasol, 21-3-2 with a steal, a pretty decent night for him. And the big news for fantasy owners is Chandler Parsons was back. The bad news is for fantasy owners that Chandler Parsons was back and he hit 0 of 8 from the field for 0 points, 1 block and 3 rebounds. I can feel the panic setting in. I've already had a tweet today. Do you think he's having trouble fitting in in Memphis? No, I don't. It's one game. The dude hasn't played since March. It's going to take him a bit of time to get get cranking, but when he does, it's on. We're talking top 50-ish type of value. Don't panic on Chandler. If somehow he's around, you absolutely grab him immediately. This was one game. He was going to be. It was predictable. He was going to be rusty, and he was. Don't panic. Tone Allen had four steals. Great steal stream guy. That's about it. Seven boards and eleven points is nice, but there's no reliability there with him. And Zach Randolph continues to chuck up shots in minimal minutes. Fifteen points in less than twenty minutes. Had seven boards too. You almost have to own him in twelve team leagues, but. We know the limitations, and it's just hard to keep thinking he's going to be approaching double-doubles in this bench role. James Ennis played 35 minutes, 7-3, and three, but we know that as Parsons' minutes go up, Ennis' are going to come down. So when there's someone else out there you want to grab or you want to open up that spot for streaming, Ennis' is expendable. And Vince Carter's going to lose some playing time too. 26 minutes for Carter here at the age of 39, I believe. 11-5 and five in his 26 minutes. And he has value for deeper leagues, but it is going to drop off a little bit. Wade Baldwin did not play at all in this one, and they preferred Andrew Harrison. I'm not sure why you would ever prefer Andrew Harrison to Wade Baldwin, but that's the way that uh, that David Fisdale is running things, and Jerrell Martin saw his role reduced. He played the seven minutes. Now, Jermichael Green's a guy that I get a lot of questions about. He played 33 minutes. His role is there, but is he a must-own guy? It's pretty borderline. It's close. He had five points, eight boards, and a block. I've held him in all the leagues that I've owned him in um, just I like the role, I like his ability to be this back-end sort of player, but by no means is he immune to being dropped if there's someone out there who can really get it going. So if Parsons was around, then yeah, Green, thanks, mate, but you're done, I'll go grab Parsons. Um, Manuel Moutier, Green, you're done, I'll go grab Moutier. He's probably the worst guy on my roster, um, and I would consider it with a streaming spot, but he's by no means a guy that is an automatic drop or anything like that. The Sacramento Kings and the Toronto Raptors. Huge win for the Kings in this game at Toronto. Boogie Cousins, well, he had to, um, with Jonas Valanciunas having a, a late scratch due to some knee swelling, Boogie was always going to be in a pretty decent spot. Now, he was played pretty well by Pascal Siakam and Jakob Pertl and Bebe Noguera. He only hit 7 of 21 from the field, so that's a disappointing night there. 8 of 11 from the line, but 22, 14, and 4 with three blocks and a steal is almost a quintessential DeMarcus Cousins line. Rudy Gay, who was doubtful earlier in the day, all of a sudden was playing. He wore a wrap on his ribs. He played 35 minutes, and he scored 23 points. So I think it's safe to say that he's going to be right moving forward unless he gets some sort of aggravation with that injury. 25 to Costa Cufos in a start. 13-6, and six, a big night, but nothing we get too interested in. And Aaron Aflalo played 36 minutes. That's a lot of minutes, and he scored 12 points. You leave him where you found him. Matty Barnes at just a touch under 30 minutes, 8-10, and 10, and we just don't know what uh, Jaeger is going to do with Barnes and Caspi on a night-to-night basis. One night it'll be Barnes playing 27 and Caspi playing 9. The next night it'll be 25 to Caspi and it'll be 7 to Barnes, making it almost impossible to own those guys. You take a punt in a streaming situation, you punt them in a DFS tournament, but as a, a regular hold, there is no way you can rely upon that. Ty Lawson missed all six of his shot attempts for five points. He had 11 assists, so the distribution's there, but he looks like he's got no confidence whatsoever. But will be really interesting to see what the Kings do with him when Collison returns, but as I mentioned earlier, I don't really have any concerns about Collison getting his job back. Collison can play on and off the ball as well, and Lawson is just... He's just hes just not that good anymore. There's been a, a definite drop-off. There was no Ben McLemore or Willie Cauley-Stein in this game at all, both DMP CDs. Cauley-Stein just looks terrible this season. On to the Raptors. Kyle Lowry, 39 minutes. They're going to continue to run him into the ground, so that's going to work out brilliantly when it gets to March. Fantastic news for everyone. 39 minutes for Kyle Lowry. 15, 4, and 10. Three triples, two steals, one block. Poor shooting, but a good counting stats night. And DeMar Rosen finally didn't get 30 points, uh, finally didn't get to 50% shooting, but still went 8 of 10 from the line. He had 7 of 20 from the field for 23, 4, and 3. So still a pretty good night, but obviously not as high as he had been. Pat-Pat. Two pat Patrick Patterson, 31 minutes, six and nine with two blocks. So getting the blocks happening, but he's a deeper league sort of guy. Now Jakub Purdle started, but he got 2,000 about two minutes on Boogie. He fouled out after 18 minutes, six and four, and that meant that Bebe Noguera could get some action. Now Bebe was the backup center before his ankle sprain in the preseason and that enabled Purdle to get those minutes. Bebe played 21 minutes here, 7-5, a steal on a block, energetic, finished all three of his attempts, alley-oops, he looked really good. I'm a big fan of Bebe, you know I've got a Bebe Nogueira jersey that I'm waiting to, to break out on one of these episodes. Um, He... Look, I don't know what they're going to do moving forward, whether they'll play him or Pirtle as the backup center. They'll probably go back to Pirtle, but I think that we'll see Pirtle down in the D-League at some stage this season, and Bebe could easily outplay him, as he did in this one, and find himself back into that 17-ish minute role as the backup center, especially while Jared Sullinger's out. So keep an eye on Bebe. His game is pretty fantasy-friendly. He can finish at a pretty high percentage. He blocks, steals, boards, and decent scorer. so keep an eye on him. Damari Carroll... Just found his shoes, so that's all good. And If anyone's worrying there, he got some new shoes. He was able to play, but he played 22 minutes. Four points, eight rebounds, one assist. I don't want to say it, but he's just not that good anymore. Um, And maybe it's still an issue with his knee carrying over from the issues he had last season. But I think even if he was healthy, where's his upside? 90-ish? 100-ish? There's no point holding someone who's just not performing at that level. Yeah, Chandler Parsons is a top 50 guy. So you can withstand a zero from eight day. tomorrow Carroll's doing that every night and his ceiling's at you know, 10 points, 11 points. He can he can go. I don't want to give Dwayne Casey the, the bonehead coaching decision of the night, and I won't. But why, why does he continue to trust Norm Powell for his crunch time minutes? We're going to close the game with you, Norm. We really trust you. We want you out there. But we don't want you out there at any other time. We don't want to play you at all. We don't want to play you, but but you're the man. When, when things matter, you're the man. A weird thinking. Under 10 minutes for Norm, four points and an assist. Terrence Ross has been good this season, undoubtedly. 19 minutes for him, eight points, two triples and two steals. But if you if you love a guy that much and you're playing him at the most important time of the game, play him at the other times of the game as well. There's no point getting a guy to be a last five-minute specialist. That is, that is bullshit. I'm big on power, but he's obviously not getting enough run this season. This was also Pascal Siakam's best game. 24 minutes for Siakam, 10 and 6 with a block. He played some uh, some minutes next to Pat-Pat as Patterson moved to the 5 or Siakam moved to the 5, whatever it was. But they they played together, which is not something that they had really done uh, in the past. As I said with Valanciunas, he was out pre-game, really, really close to tip. He was coming down to, to the, the deadline to as we whether he was going to play with his knee swelling issue. It's not a serious thing. So owners of Jonas Valentina shouldn't be too bothered. It's unlikely he misses another game at this point. But obviously, you know, the wait and see comes in, it comes into play. Milwaukee and Dallas, this was uh this was a nightmare of a game. It went to overtime and the final score was 86 to 75. That's how bad this game was. Giannis at the he only played 26 minutes because he had fouls really early. Two fouls in about two minutes. Still, 11-7-2-3-2 is a massive line for Giannis. The shooting wasn't quite there, but he hit a three. Still a fantastic performance. Greggy Munro got the 29 minutes, 14-12 and 12 with three steals, and it just reinforces it. When the minutes are there, he's going to perform. When Jason Kidd decides he doesn't want to, then it's not, it's not happening. Jabari Parker looks good again. 16-7 and seven with a steal in his 39 minutes. Wasn't Malcolm Brogdon's best uh, best game. Brogo only had seven points with two steals in just under 20 minutes. But two steals is still not bad. I'm not sure he's a 12-team league guy, but the potential is obviously there. Tone Snell played 36 minutes and had five points because, of course, he did. And crunch time Jason Terry was a thing. Jason. Both Jasons. Jason Kidd, Jason Terry. I don't think anyone needs to see 24 minutes of Jason Terry. And sometimes you'll give a coach a pass because you'll go out there and go, all right, we put Jason Terry in. He got things going. Um, he was playing well. Now, Jason Terry was 0 of 6 from the field. Why was he out there? Why was he playing? When Brogdon had done well, when Snell had done well. Now, Rashad Vaughn wasn't playing at all. And I can even understand getting Vaughn out there rather than 39-year-old Jason Terry. A very curious decision from Jason Kidd to play 24 minutes of Jason Terry and for him to be as unproductive as he was. Matthew Dalavadova played 33 minutes, two points only, but five rebounds, six assists, continues to be a guy that I think should be owned. He's only he's only owned in 55% of leagues. That's too low. Whereas Misa Toledovic... Had the seven triples in the last game. Backed it up with three here. Not, not a bad performance. Nine and six, but you still want to restrict him to your deeper sort of formats. Miles Plumley and John Henson, unsurprisingly, did nothing. On to the Dallas Mavericks. No Dirk. Darren Williams, who was listed as very questionable, didn't play, unsurprisingly. Rick Carlo has a real, um, a real issue with Dwight Powell. This is a perfect opportunity for Power to play and to get some extra run, but he didn't start and he played 10 minutes, which is less than what he would play if Dirk was playing. They went with Justin Anderson as the starter and played him 10 minutes. Now, it wasn't like he was great, but he also wasn't terrible. Four points, two rebounds in his 10 minutes because they gave Dorian Finney-Smith 32 minutes. Now, plenty of you will go, who the hell is that guy? And plenty of you will know who Dor- Dorian Finney-Smith is. His defense was fantastic. Five points in 32 minutes, three steals and one block. Some of you will ask the question, do we add Dorian Finney-Smith? The answer is, in general, going to be no. But in a deeper league, in this situation where Darren is out, which it doesn't appear to be a long-term thing with Darren Williams, but Dirk, we don't really know. But Finney-Smith may have earned himself a spot in the rotation just for his defense, but it's it's unlikely he's going to have fantasy relevance really in any league aside from a 30-team league. Seth Curry is not getting it done. He was a trendy 12-team sleeper pick, and if you haven't cut bait already, you obviously need to do that, and we're seeing now with no Andrew Bogut, no, not with no Andrew Bogut, with no Dirk Nowitzki, Andrew Bogut's going to get minutes. 34 minutes for Bogut, two points, but 16 boards and a steal with three assists is obviously very usable. JJ Breyer played 46 minutes. He's Carlisle's mate. He's his best mate. He plays him whenever he can. And this is understandable with no Darren there. He has to be owned everywhere. 21-6-5 and five with two triples and a steal. Even when Williams comes back, berea is going to continue to start. I've got no doubt about that. I'm definitely burying the lead here, but I'll get to that in a sec. Wes Matthews played 44 minutes and scored 9 points on 17 shots. He was 3 of 17. He did have three steals, so that's handy. And all nine of his points came from beyond the three-point line. But he's just not a good shooter anymore. And a lot of it is coming from legs, from the Achilles tear. I think you probably still want to hold him, but it's getting it's it's getting Brandon Knightish close to, you know, is he a guy that you drop everywhere? Now, if there's someone else out there, if J.J. Barrea is around, I reckon I would make the move and grab Barrea and drop Matthews because if he's not hitting his shots and he's not hitting his threes, he's not getting assists, he's not a shot blocker, um, he's not a high volume free throw guy, he's not a rebounder, he's a three point guy and he can get some steals. And he, he did get those here. But he's not he's not worth hanging on to if he just if he just cannot shoot anymore and this is basically a year and 5 games worth of him not being able to shoot post uh, post Achilles injury and that's a real worry because he seems like a really good bloke but the signs aren't great. The pencil Harrison Barnes, 34 points in 48 minutes, eight rebounds, two steals, two triples, 13 of 26 from the field, six of seven from the line. Congratulations, Harry. That is a huge performance. It is two 30-point games so far this season. Without Dirk, he's playing the four. This is his future. This is this team's future at the four. Um, I'm, I'm convinced that, that they did pay Dwight Powell a little bit in the offseason, but Barnes' best position is going to be the four. And if you took a punt on Barnes... After a woeful preseason, where there was legitimately people saying there is no reason to even own him, and that, that that's a, a crazy statement as it is, you took that punt. You maybe got him in the hundred and tens, hundred and twenties. You're reaping the rewards now. He's gonna have some bad nights, and the fact that he doesn't get many assists and his defensive stats are a little bit down, yeah, that that makes him a little bit fluky. But without Dirk, especially. Yeah, the Pencil is uh, is primed for a pretty significant pretty significant week, I reckon. He's going to get a lot of shots. He, he tied the game up in overtime, forced the game to overtime, and ended up yeah, with the 34. A big night for Harry, a big night for the Pencil, um, and a big night for everyone who took that plunge on Barnes. Hopefully, he didn't go too early, and you got him at a pretty nice discount. The Denver Nuggets and the Boston Celtics, well... The Nuggets just blew the Celtics out of the water. I don't think many people saw that coming. They dropped 123 points on the back of Moutier's big performance. Wilson Chandler suffered a strained hamstring. He played this 25 minutes, but had 22 points in that. Five rebounds and a steal and two threes. He's sort of a borderline 12-team league guy, but I don't feel all that confident in saying he's a must-own guy. The rooster Danilo Gallinari went 16-3-3. Gaz Harris, this was the big change for Mike Malone. No, we're going to make a change. No, I'm not going to tell you what it is. We're going to make a change. We need to get more aggressive. We need to get more offensive. We need to give some more energy, some more bite. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. We're going to make a change. not telling you who it is. So, ooh, Jokic is going to the bench. Maybe Moudier is going to the bench. Mix things up. And Michael, Michael Malone's big change was, we're going to go with our usual starting lineup. So Gary Harris moved back into the starting lineup to replace Jamal Murray, who was starting because Harris was injured. So your big surprise, Mick, your big surprise was we're just going to do what what we're expected to do. Way wait, wait to pull the, pull the wool over our eyes. So frustrating. Anyway, Gaz Harris back starting. Only the 21 minutes or 22 minutes for Gaz, but 12-4 and 4 with a triple one. You'll take that. Has to be owned everywhere. Is owned in 62% of leagues. You've got to own him. I did see a post today on Reddit about Gaz Harris and someone saying... Gary Harris stinks. Um, Will Barton's better than him. Will Barton's going to get the shooting guard job off him. And you know what my you know what my take's going to be on that? It's going to be no. no my, my take's actually going to be this. No, 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 no. <laughs> Gary Harris was better than Will Barton last season, significantly better than Will Barton last season. He played more minutes than him last season. He'll continue to play more minutes than him this season. His future is a lot brighter than Will Barton. Once Harris is ready to go, which probably be middle of the week, I would say, maybe end of the week, he's going to be back getting his 30-plus minutes, and he's going to be locked in as a high-efficiency scorer who, who can get some steals, who hits some threes, and handles the ball a little bit. And he, he's a back-end guy. He's not a huge guy, but this is the third season for Gaz, so we're looking at a, a pretty significant boost, I, I would say, for him. So if he's not owned, do yourself a favor, and, and I think you do need to go and look at him. I'm not worried about Will Barton coming back and and supplanting Gaz Harris. I've been wrong before. I'm, at this point, I don't think... Well, I, I don't, Of course, I don't think I'm wrong, because if I thought I was wrong, I would change my opinion to make sure that I was right. I think Gary Harris is, is the man there. Jamal Murray went back to 13 minutes, Actually had nine points with two triples, so a decent performance there. Ken Farid played 24 minutes, 12 and 11, with a steal and a block. But it's very hard to give the bonehead coaching decision award of the night to someone whose team blows out a uh, potential Eastern Conference finalist. But I don't understand why there should be any situation where Kenneth Farid is playing as your center when you've got Nikola Jokic and Yusuf Nurkic on your team, and neither of them uh, are in foul trouble. Farid had 12 and 11, but he, he just isn't a good player. Jokic only played the 22 minutes here. 9 and 5 with a steal and a block and 2 assists. He was 4 of 8, so his shot was falling. He was doing everything he needed to do. But Malone keeps jerking him around with his minutes and his role, which makes no sense considering he had a, an historic rookie season and the team you know, pumped him up in the offseason. He is our you know, franchise cornerstone in the middle. Cool, let's play him 20 minutes a night. Yusuf Nurkic, who has been beasting against other teams, played 13 minutes, 4-6 and six with a steal on a block. Now, yes, it's a blowout, so we don't need to play these guys big minutes, but if it's a blowout, give Juan Hernan Gomez more than two minutes. Give Malik Beasley more than two minutes. I don't think we need to see 41 Danilo Gallinari minutes in a blowout of an injury-prone player. I don't think we need to see 39 minutes of Emmanuel Moutier, and I am bloody sure we don't need to see 36 minutes of Jameer Nelson in a blowout. Convinced we don't need to see that. So if your reason is, no, we're sitting these guys because it's a blowout, then sit the guys that might actually need it. Sit the guy who is one one foot into retirement in Nelson. Sit the guy who hasn't played 60 games in a season in Danilo Gallinari. Yeah, sit the guy who who's had a bit of an ankle problem in Emmanuel Moutier. Don't sit the guys who actually need to get themselves into a rhythm and you need to see how this front court rotation works, like Nurkic and like Jokic. It's pissing Nuggets fans off. It's pissing fantasy owners off. We know that, but... Michael Malone doesn't care about that, and they got the win, so they probably shouldn't care in general. But it's a baffling thought process. It's a baffling situation. You're up as big as you're up. Play Jamal Murray. Get the kid some confidence after he missed his first 84 shots. I don't think Jameer Nelson needs to get out there for 36 of them and run it in. I don't think we need not like Illinois for 41 out there in case you know, he something's wrong with him. I don't think we need 24 minutes out of Ken Farid to play to be the big man with the most minutes on the team. We don't need any of that stuff, Michael. Jokic, will, will, you know, he wasn't bad. 9-5-2 with a steal and a block is really good. 80% shooting is great. Yusuf Nurkic went 4-6 with a steal and a block in 13 minutes. That's also good. These guys weren't bad. But whatever is happening in Malone's mind is pissing us off, and we'll see how it all plays out, but some very, very, very confusing decisions were made, Then this is, again, why I encourage you to go listen to Lockdown Nuggets and hear what Adam has to say about this team and about his thoughts on the way they run their rotation. To me, it shouldn't be hard. Nurkic and Jokic, one of them on the court at all times, 24 apiece at center, play them together for six to eight minutes, get them their 28 each. Get Darrell Arthur in there a little bit, who didn't uh, didn't actually play at all in this game. Um, get your Ken Farid in there for his 20 minutes. Get Wilson Chandler a little bit at the four. Don't play Danilo Gallinari at the four. Get Mounier some time. Get Gaz in there. Get, get Jamal Murray. They've got an abundance of young talent, but Jermaine Nelson doesn't need 36 minutes. That's enough on that. Let's move on to the Celtics. Um, speaking of lineup and rotation tinkerers. There was no Al Horford, there was no Kali Linick, so let's go. Bang, Jalen Brown played 35 against the Cavs. He looked good. He played on LeBron. He started for a half, and then he didn't play the second half, and managed just 21 minutes, four, three, and four. Didn't get his shot to four, but that's pretty standard. Uh, pretty standard. Brad Stevens, Marcus Smart got the second half start, and it appears that Marcus Smart can maybe shoot now. 43% on the season. He was uh, six of 13 here for 13, five and two, and I recommend Smart be owned in most leagues. Even the front court was uh, restricted. Amir, Amir Steph Curry-Johnson, after hitting his four triples the other day, played 16 minutes in the start. Four points and four assists. Tyler Zeller got 26 minutes and went 6-5 and five with two blocks. We had Jonas Repko get some extra time. We had Jordan Mickey played 19 minutes. We even saw Demetrius Jackson play 11 minutes in this game. It was a blowout, so get those young guys in there. But this is notorious. This is what Brad Stevens is notorious for. Yeah, chopping and changing with big men and that's why it does make it hard to own own these guys yeah, outside of Horford, Olenek Johnson, Zala Yurepko, who all if they played 30 minutes would be great fantasy options they do have the ability to be good fantasy players maybe not so much Zala but the other guys really do, it's just not going to really happen with the way that, that Stevens coaches that front court and he's, he's sort of restricting Al Horford to a degree as well, not really because Horford's going to get his 30 minutes but he's not you know, getting 31 32 33 the that those extra that extra push the phoenix suns and los angeles lakers devin booker 39 points he had 38 in the last game against the pelicans three triples three rebounds seven assists 13 of 29 he takes some really really hard shots and i said it the other day i don't he, he hasn't proven to be a good shooter yet i think he can be and i think he will be but he hadn't proven it yet Well, in the last two games he's taking some really hard shots and he's hitting them and he's doing it efficiently Fine. He was forty-three percent from three in this one. He hit all ten of his free throws. These are good shooting performances. And I said, yeah, he can very easily. My point was, he can easily be a very good shooter in this league. But he literally has not shown us that he is that yet. Now he's shown us. He also had seven assists. And after a real stinking start, and I talked about it last week, where he's ranked about two hundred and sixtieth. Yeah, people were dropping him, which is just—he's owned eighty-seven percent of leagues. Like, what the hell is everyone doing? What are the rest of you doing? You have to own him. I know that his game isn't the most fantasy-friendly because his defensive numbers aren't great, his rebounding's not great, and his field goal percentage hasn't been good, but the assist numbers, I think, are going to get better, and he's going to take a lot of Brandon Knight's plays away. The scoring is there. The efficiency could come up. The ability to get to the line looks good. Good stuff. TJ Warren, 39 minutes, 22-6-3 and three with two steals and two threes. One of the most common questions I get asked, is TJ Warren a sale high No. No, he's not. I think that he can maintain this level of production. So that is not a sell high to me. A sell high is when someone's going out there and shooting you know, 15% about, above what they've done over their five years in the NBA, or they're blocking shots at four shots a game when they get 0.5 a game over three years. That's, that's sell high. What TJ Warren is doing, I look at it and go, yeah, okay. He's a high efficiency scorer who's worked on his steals and threes over the past three seasons, and you've seen incremental increases. It makes sense, everything that he's doing. The role is his, the minutes are there, this is absolutely not a sell high, He has to be owned everywhere, do not sell high on him because uh, you're not getting value on it, I don't think he's dropping off. 30 minutes for Tyson Chandler again, 9-12 and 12 with 3 steals, I reckon Chandler's got to be looked at as, as an ownable player for certain situations. Eric Bledsoe, only the 30 for Bledsoe, foul trouble limited him, 19-2-2 two two with 2 steals, so he's still getting some numbers but not quite where we want him to be. Jared Dudley's not doing much. Marquis Chris almost out of the rotation completely. Just one minute for him with no stats. No Dragon Bender. No uh, Tyler Eulis. Of course, those guys are, are clearly in the rotation, according to Earl Watson. No points for PJ Tucker in his 20 minutes. And as I touched on earlier, Brandon Knight was terrible. 11 boards for Alex Len, though. I still do believe that Alex, and I know some people will debate me, Josh. I'm, I'm speaking to you that you don't think Alex Len is good at all. I, I do think that Len can be a good player. But with the way that Watson runs things, he's not going to get enough of an opportunity. So leave him alone. One of the most confusing things I would say of this NBA season has been Nick Young. All of a sudden. Not only is he on a team, which is a surprise. Not only is he in a rotation, which is a surprise. Not only is he starting, which is a big surprise. But he's doing it well. He's doing it better than he's ever done it before. He must really click with uh, with Luke Walton. 36 minutes for Swaggy P. 22-7. and seven, A steal. A block. An assist. 57% shooting. Three threes. Dare I say it, but is Nick Young a guy to own? Yeah, in a 14-team league. Yep. In a 12-team league? Well, they, uh, with Larry Nance playing just three minutes, he got the extra run. It wasn't Tom Robinson who played five minutes. You know, Tim Mozgov played just 22. Julius Randle played 28. Tariq Black played just 17. They went small. And Young benefited. He's not going to have as productive a night as this most nights. But absolutely, Nick Young, in a 14-team league, I don't think his role is going away anywhere. And that impacts what Jordy Clarkson could do. Now, Clarkson had 18-5 in 30 minutes, but I think we can expect less than 30 on most nights from him. Lou Williams played 26 and went 14-4 four and 6-2 and two steals. He continues to be productive. He's a 12-team league guy. So is Clarkson, whereas Young's more a 14-team league guy. Only the 28 minutes for D'Angelo Russell. A little bit disappointing. 11-5-6. But the uh, two of eleven shooting does really hurt you there. Brandon Ingram had a triple one, and that's what he can be when he grows up. Nine points and three boards there, and if you're holding on to Lou Deng in a in a twelve team league, just don't. You, you can do better. Seven and seven in twenty one minutes for Lou Deng. Obviously, Nance. Yeah, he was a, a pretty exciting guy to own and add in twelve team leagues. If you're looking for someone else, he's not a massive loss. Um, if yeah, he's going to miss Tuesday's game, if you have to move on from him feel okay doing it. And I was really down on Julius Randle last season. It turns out it's because of who his coach was, because he's actually a completely different player this season. And hopefully, I'm not convinced this is the case, but hopefully every other hard-arsed, old school, my way or the highway, this is how we used to do it, coach, looks at this and goes, shit. It doesn't work. It, it doesn't work like this anymore. And they're so stubborn that it, it, probably, it probably won't sink in. But look at the difference. Look at Nick Young, who Byron Scott fought with every day. Look at D'Angelo Russell, who Byron Scott fought with every day. Look at Julius Randle, who he never had any outward squabbles with, but benched him very early on in the season. Look at how different these guys are. You don't coach by being A, a shit coach, B, a shit bloke, and there's probably a C in there as well. It, it, the approach doesn't work. Skiles, Mitchell, Scott, it doesn't work. And I'm, f- I'm thankful. You don't treat anyone. You shouldn't treat anyone like that. It's just it's ridiculous. And I'm glad that it doesn't work. And we're seeing what, fun, not even fun. I guess it's less fear less fear of being called out for unpredictability or your coach being unpredictable and calling you out for shit where you go, come on, man, look, what am I supposed to do? And that puts uncertainty into people. Randall looks good, really happy for him, happy for Lakers fans as well. I know know they've been spoiled for so much success, but it's good to have um, a bright spark and Randall looks good and I'm I'm comfortable admitting that I made a mistake with that and it, it appears that a lot of his issues were were coaching related alright that is the games from Sunday I feel like I've waffled on an extraordinarily large amount today I'm going to take a quick break grab myself a drink and then we're going to be back and we're going to talk about the uh, talk about the games for Monday and look at them from a DFS point of view is that the new iPhone? yeah got it on T-Mobile fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network We're back. Let's uh, transition this show into daily fantasy. Let's look at the perfect DFS lineup from Sunday's games on FanDuel. This is including all six games that were played. Georgie Hill, 42.9. Emmanuel Moutier, 39.6. The Shooting Guards, CJ McCollum, 47.8. Devin Booker, 50.1. Small forts, Carmelo Anthony, 42.3. The Pencil, 49.6. Power Fords, Chris Stapps at 41.1, Julius Randall 31, and Boogie Cousins at 54 for a total of 398.4. Over on DraftKings, this only includes the main four-game slate. JJ Barea at 37, Avery Bradley at 40.75, Devin Booker at 53.25, Boogie's at 56.25, Greggy Munro's at 35.5, Manny Moutier is at 45, the Pencils at 51.5, and and Nick Young is at 35.25, and that would have given you 354.5 points. Let's move on to Monday. There are seven games on, so we'll talk about those ones. The first one we're looking at is the Indiana Pacers and the Charlotte Hornets, the Elk Jefferson Bowl. The Hornets are favored by 3.5, and the total here is 208 points. Let's look at the point guard matchup. Kemba Walker is at 7,800. I think he's really nice value here at this point. Jeff Teague, not known for being a good defender. Kemba's been putting up good numbers, basically giving you 38 almost every night. You want him to be a little bit better than 38 at 7,800, but this is an opportunity for him to actually be better than 38 going up against Jeff Teague, and he's done well historically against the Pacers when they've had George Hill and a better defense there, so I think this is a really good opportunity for Kemba to have a, a big night I don't think Ramon Sessions is, is worth looking at too, too hardly. Um, Jeffy Teague's at 61. Some pretty decent games from him lately, actually, averaging almost 30 across the last three. It's a positive matchup for Teague. So I think that he is definitely worth a look as well. The shooting guards, Nick Batum is at 6,400. Not overly sold on Batum at that price. Monte Ellis has been providing some pretty good defense on opposition shooting guards. Not not keen on him at 6,400. Monte at 59. Despite the fact that he's not scoring anymore, he is averaging 27 points across the last three, but historically hasn't done well when matched up against Batum. And Michael Gilchrist obviously is the other wing defender over there in Charlotte. So I think we'll uh, I think we'll give Monte a pass as well. And Marco Balanelli, he... Yeah, maybe, look if Marvin Williams who's got a virus and mispractice is out maybe they have to move Michael Kid Gilchrist to the four a little bit more and that means some more minutes to Ballinelli and we look at that in the tournament but apart from that it's not really enticing speaking of Kid Gilchrist at 5600 he's putting up numbers that you know basically giving you 25 a night pretty comfortably he's averaging 27 across the season, he's had a 44 point game in there, I don't put a massive amount of faith in him, I don't think that there's huge upside there as a cash game setting, Paces have done well against small forwards this season. I think if he has to play some power forward, if Marvin's out, I like Kid Gilchrist a little bit more. Paulie George at 8600 really disappointing. His last performance. I don't know if a suspension's coming. I would doubt it. Look when you watch the footage. Yes, he kicks the ball into the crowd. He doesn't. He doesn't, when you when you first see the news coming, I wasn't watching it live. When you first see the news coming across him, Paul George is ejected for kicking a ball into the stand. I just assumed he went in there and just booted the shit out of it and it smacked someone and went, okay, he's in trouble. He he like tapped it into the crowd. It's still not ideal. He would definitely get a fine, I would guess. And I don't think a suspension's coming, but that let him down in terms of his fantasy production. 8,600, he hasn't really got to the to the level that he's needed to get to this season. And normally he has a pretty hot start to the year, and it hasn't happened yet. I'm okay with using him. I'm, he's not high on my list. 4,200 for CJ Miles. I like that. He's averaging 26 across the last three. He's been relatively consistent getting those low 20s minutes, and he is a bit of a November specialist as well. And After that, his body tends to break down a little bit. So to get 20-ish points, 24, 25 points out of CJ Miles at 4,200, I think that it's not a bad cash play. If you're just looking to to get some cheap salary in there to get some other uh, other of your studs in there, say like a Jim Harden in one of the later games, so that that's worth considering. At power, Ford Marvin Williams hasn't been getting it done anyway. He's questionable with an illness. He's not going to have his usual energy reserves. I would guess not. Not interested whatsoever. Frank the Tank at four thousand. Frank Kaminsky hasn't had a big game yet, but I think that if Marvin's out, he will get the start, and that makes him at a four thousand dollar. Um, intriguing guy for for tournaments and for cash as well. Whereas Thad Young has been a little bit off the boil at 5,800, hasn't uh, hasn't been cracking value, so we leave him out of it. 3,700 for Spencer Hawes at the centre position. No, Cody Zeller at 4,900. More interested in that. In Mar- if Marvin sits out, he's been putting up some nice numbers. Um, nothing too exciting at 4,900 though. So I reckon he can do better and 3,700 for Miles Turner. Well, he hasn't really got the value going that he had early on in the season. His minutes have been limited. He's struggling to get 30 minutes at the moment. And I'm not really, some of it's foul trouble. Some of it's not, not really sure what, uh, what Nate McMillan is doing there, especially considering Al Jefferson struggles. 6,700 for Miles makes him a tournament play, but not a, uh, not a cash game option for, uh, for my tastes anyway. The next game up is the Utah Jazz and the Philadelphia 76ers. We've got the Jazz favored by 7.5, and, and the total is a lowly 192.5 points in this one. Let's look at the point guard matchup. Georgie Hill's at 6,000. Well, he just dropped a casual 43 today against the Knicks. It's not like the Sixers' defense is any better. Fine with him. Yeah, we had the concerns about Gordy Haywood. They showed that they could coexist, and maybe that's a one-off thing, but I'm okay with Georgie Hill. At 6,000 on the other side, Spanish Chocolate at 5,200. Sergio Rodriguez, he's been exceeding value most nights. Against the Jazz, it's a little bit of a different proposition. Um, Derek Rose still did well against George Hill, so we see how this all works out. But 5,200, I, I have a decent amount of confidence in Sergio Rodriguez at that price. TJ McConnell, Shelvin Mack, Dante Exum, no. Shooting guard, Rod Hood, 5,400. He's averaging 32 points in the last three. So at 5,400 in a, in a tasty matchup, yes, it's coming off the back-to-back. Um, I, I still think that Hood is is good value at that price. It's not an expensive price. Gerald Henderson is at 4,000, and that's too expensive for him. And we're not going to be looking at Sauce Castillo or Hollis Thompson. The small forward battle, Bob Cove at 4,400. Terrible matchup. Utah slows things down. Bob Cove's been in horrible form, but he hits... Forty percent of his shots, and he'll make value back because he's getting the steals, he's getting the blocks, he's rebounding the ball. The shots just not falling. Like he had twenty-two points in the last game, fantasy points, and scored like two points or four points in real life. I mean, he gets you some more scoring, and, he, and he's smashing value. I like him as a tournament play, but obviously we we have no ability to trust him in a cash game setting. Seventy-three hundred for Gordon Haywards, for as well as he played today, he only dropped thirty-one FanDuel points, which is which is okay, but. Uh, Seventy three hundred. I want him to do a little bit more. Probably leave him alone. Joey Johnson. Even though the salary's dropped, no thanks on him. The power forwards, Dario Saric, at four thousand. That's a cheap price for a guy who's likely going to be the starter. But it's not a good matchup for him going up against Derek Favors. I don't like that. Urson uh, Ilias over at thirty eight hundred. Love that in the tournament. I think that's that's worth looking at. He dropped twenty six in the game against Cleveland. He's worth considering. Derek Favors at fifty nine. No. And Trey Lyles at 37 will also uh, also say no on that at center. The uh, Joel the process Embiid. His salary has risen, but it's at five thousand. Like the dude's lowest score this year is 21 points in 15 minutes. He had 36 in the last game in 25 minutes. He is averaging 51 points in 30, per 36 minutes over his last five games. Um. Yeah, Rudy Gobert. is is a tough challenge, but 5,000 is not a lot of money to spend on Joel Embiid. He's going to be very highly owned in tournaments, so maybe you pivot. In cash, though, I love him in a cash game setting. Rudy Gobert at 6,700, that's not appealing when you look at Embiid at 5,000, and Gobert's been okay, but he's not $6,700 worth. And Jaleel Okafor had 27 in the last game, and at 5,100, that's worthwhile. But again, it's cheaper to take Joel Embiid. I'm not sure why Fangio is is slacking on getting that price up because it just doesn't make any sense that he would be lower than a, a guy like Jaleel Okafor at this point. It, it baffles me, especially when both guys are on a 24-minute limit. The next game is the Houston Rockets and the Washington Wizards. The Wizards are favored by one and a half here, and the total is a big, big, big 216 and a half points. Let's look at the point guards. Johnny Wall will be back after missing the last game due to rest. He's at 9,200. He has been smashing value, um, He's at the rest. I'm I'm, I'm I'm good with John Wall. I think he's a good option here to use, obviously, the Houston point guards. Jim Harden is not registered as a point guard in Fangio, so he is not uh, in this conversation. Tomas Saturansky will go back to the bench, but he is a shooting guard-listed player, and he's not going to be of use to us now. At shooting guard, Brad Beal is at 5,400. Well, he's been getting a consistent 27 points the last couple of games, and at 5,400, I like that in cash. Maybe I'm not so happy about him in a tournament with Wall back, but uh, in cash, that's okay. Eric Gordon at 5,100, just not quite getting it done. I think he's a pass. And Jim Harden's at 11,800. You get those cheap guys in so you can fit Harden in, so you can get 60 points out of him. He's averaging sixty, averaging 64 across the last three games, just putting up numbers, and and Beal can't stop him. I know John Wall's a good defender, but Brad Beal can't stop him. Um, Wall might be able to slow him down, but really no one can slow down James Harden. Saturansky, Thornton... Nah. Otto Porter's at 4,900. Now, I'm not a massive Otto Porter fan, but 4,900, I think that looks really good value, especially against this Rockets team. I think he's uh, he's really in play here. Trevor Rees at 4,900, not doing anything to make me think that that's going to be even remotely interesting. And Sam Decker and Corey Brewer, not, not for me either. The Power Forts, Markeith Morris continues to exceed a lot of people's expectations. He's averaging 28 points this season. He's at 5,800. I like him in this up-tempo matchup. Ryan Anderson, I, the opposite of like, I dislike him. He's at 5,000, but he's not getting anything done. And if his shot doesn't fall, it doesn't happen. Tournaments, maybe you look at him, but literally that's it for me. Um, Andrew Nicholson, no. Montrezl Harrell, no. Centres. Eklund Capella, he's at 4,400, but it's always dependent on what Mike D'Antoni is going to do. Now, he put up 21 points in the last game in 21 minutes. That's great, but 21 minutes is a pain. At 4,400, you give him 25 minutes and he should exceed value. But I don't put trust in that. Maybe as a tournament, but yeah, you can go 5,000 and take Joel Embiid. in Gortat at 5,900, they're playing him so many minutes. He still not hasn't cracked the $6,000 mark. He's up by 100, but not, not to 6,000. So oh, I, th- I think you should be on board with, with looking at Gortat. If you've got some extra cash and you want to grab a, a guy that you know is going to play 30 and, and could have a, a decent game against a, a defensively challenged team. Nene at 3,700, not uh, not getting it done for us either. The next game up, we're looking at the Orlando Magic and the Chicago Bulls. The Bulls are favored by seven. The total is 203.5 points. Let's look at the point guards. Lord Alfred Payton's at 5,800. Bit of a stinker in the last game, um, but he still is averaging 28 points on the season. I like it in this matchup against Rose. I think he's, uh, he's definitely in for, not against Rose. Oh my God! I'm in 2015 mode in this matchup against Rondo. I think he's in a really good spot here. Alfred Payton. Maybe you want to restrict it to tournaments, but I'm not. I'm not going that extreme on it. I think he can be used in both formats, especially with a $300 salary drop on Fangio. On the other side, Rajon Rondo has dropped by $400. He's down to 6,200. But no, he he's averaging 23 points over the five games, the last five games of this season, and it, it's just not. I'm just not interested. DJ Augustine is always a punt when he's at minimum salary, just in case he gets hot, but yeah, it's it's pretty unlikely. And Isaiah Cannon is not getting anything happening at the moment. Oh, at shooting guard, Evan Fournier is at 5,800. He's getting the minutes, he's scoring okay, but he's not doing enough in the other areas. I'm I'm marginally interested in using him, but not, not to a huge amount. Dwayne Wade at 6,700. Some big games, some poor games, not, not for me. In this one, and Mario Hazonia obviously is not getting enough playing time at small for Jim Butler's at 7,500. He hasn't cracked value once this season, so we can leave him alone. Aaron Gordon is a good defender, and he'll be on he'll be on uh, Butler. I don't mind Gordon in a tournament at 5,800. I think that he's got the ability to give you 30 points, but he's also got the ability to give you 24. Uh, so in cash, I'm not that keen on Gordon, but I do think that he can become a uh, a tournament play. Dougie McDermott at 3,900. That's a that's a deep a deep dive punt situation, and same with Jeff Green, who did put up thirty points in the last game, which is way too many for someone whose name is Jeff Green. At power forward, fifty six hundred for Taj Gibson. He's been putting up numbers solidly. Twenty nine in the last game, twenty six across the last five. They're they're good numbers. It's a good matchup for him. Um, the minutes are going to be pretty consistent. You. you Whatever minutes he gets, you're basically going to get those sort of points out of him. 28 minutes, 28 points. And at 5,600, I think he's a solid cash game center with limited upside. Nikola Mirotic, on the other hand, at 4,900, he's a tournament guy. He's really struggled the last couple of games, but maybe this is the one to get him going. Serge Ibaka, uh, 5,400 for Serge, really, really disappointing. He's had some decent games against the Bulls when he was a member of the Thunder, but that just doesn't feel like the same guy. I, I, I won't be using Serge Ibaka. At center, Robin Lopez has got the minutes up the last couple of games. He's at forty six hundred. It's a good matchup. Uh, I think he's interesting, but not without being spectacularly good. And the uh, the Magic centers, Nick Vucevic, no no way, forty five hundred for Bismack Biombo. I think he's a little bit better on DraftKings. I'm not a massive fan of him at that price, but he did have thirty in the last game out Biombo, and he's averaging twenty two across the last three. And at forty five hundred, I'd be mildly interested, but I'm not I'm not massively interested. The next game up, we're looking at the Miami Heat and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Back a couple of years ago, we would have been salivating LeBron, Kevin Durant. Unfortunately, now it's Justice Winslow versus Jeremy Grant. Not quite the same appeal, unfortunately. The Thunder are favored by six, and the total is 203.5 points. Let's start with the point guards. We've still got Russell Westbrook. He's priced at $11,700. is not that high for Russell Westbrook. He's averaging under 40 under no not under he's averaging 46 points across the last 3 games so a little bit of a dip but you you'd hope that we get a pretty big game coming from Russ but the the heat have been pretty good at defending point guard so that's a little bit of a concern but get those cheap guys in and get your Russ get your Jim Harden in and uh and hopefully get those 55 to 60 points out of those guys as for Goran Dragic at 7100 he's been solid averaging almost 39 points across the last game, despite a bit of a down performance in his last one. At 7,100, he's okay, but there are better point guards on the board. His backup at 4,900, Tyler Johnson, that salary has risen by 200 bucks, but he has been comfortably exceeding that value, averaging 27 points across the last five games of the season. He's had a 37-point game mixed in there. I think he's a great option at 4,900. Samajé Christen, He's had some decent nights, but I don't think you want to be relying upon him for your lineup. Vic Depot at 5,600 really hasn't got anything cracking at all, but 5,600 makes him an appealing tournament target because we know that he can easily throw up a 30 or a 40 point game without, without too much hassle. It just hasn't happened yet. And mainly it hasn't happened on the back of peripheral numbers, assists and steals and blocks, which is something that he normally excels in. The shots are there. He's actually averaging more shots this year than he did all of last season. It's the other stuff that's not there. He steals a way down. His blocks a way down. His assists a way down. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes. He, he, it's not a usage problem. Maybe the assists are somewhat of a usage problem, but it's not a usage problem in general. It's it's a defensive problem. So it'll be interesting to see how that happens. He's a tournament option uh, in my mind. Joshie Richardson, let's see him get the minutes back first, although he is 3,600, and I think you have. You've got pretty big balls if you're going to throw him out there at 3,600 yeah, after he registered one point in his first game. Small forward, Justice Winslow, 5,000. I think Winslow at 5,000 is a good cash play. I think you're going to get 25 basically every night. His lowest score in the last five has been 21 points. So really, really high floor. Limited ceiling, but high floor. That makes him a good cash play to get your Westbrooks, to get your Hardens in. Jeremy Grant at 3,900. He's the opposite. He's a uh, he's a relatively high ceiling guy, but it's not that high. And yeah, his, his floor is pretty low. Not, not interested there. Andre Robertson, same story, even though he is 3,700. Power forwards, I like Demonta Sabonis. He's at 3,900. It's probably more of a tournament play, but he's looked good the last two games, 25 minutes in those games. 20 points average over the last three, and at 3,900, if you can get 20 with the ability to go a little bit higher, which he's shown, I'm, I'm on board with it. I think that he's a really cheap tournament option that could, it could return you 26, 27 points, which is what he did in that Warriors game. So there's a chance for him. Ennis Cantor at 4,800. Well, the Heat aren't going to go big. So we've got Hassan Whiteside out there. Yep. But when they run the lineup with Justice Winslow at the four, that's going to limit what Ennis Cantor can do. Um, and that, that might be a concern for him. So I don't think he's going to have the same success that he had against the Minnesota Timberwolves. So he's probably a stay away for me. Lukey Babbitt at 3,600. He's playing the minutes, but he's not doing anything with them. At center, Steve Adams, 5,900. No, he's not. He's 5,200, my mistake. I think that's decent value. I think he's a solid cash play. And Hassan Whiteside at 8,500. That's pretty expensive, but I I feel relatively confident you can get 40 points out of out of Whiteside on most nights. Not the best option at center out there, but if you've got the cash to, to splurge and you want 40 points out of someone, then I think you should be looking at, uh, at Hassan Whiteside. Two games left on the slate. The next one of these games is the New Orleans Pelicans. And the Golden State Warriors, real buyer potential here. The Warriors are favored by 17. This is the worst team in the NBA, basically, the Pelicans. The total is 224.5, so that's huge. But there's massive, massive risk factors involved. You know, Steph Curry has historically done sensationally well against the Pelicans. It's a good matchup for him. He's at $8,700. He hasn't had a big game really yet all season. The salary keeps dropping but could he play 29 minutes? That's the risk. Tournaments only, I think, for Steph. Uh, Timmy Frazier at 5,400. I think his ownership's going to be well down given the way that they've limited his minutes the last two, but I think Gentry, after his self-reflection moment, will get Tim Fraser back out there and play him his 35 minutes. So I like him at 5,400. I also like Lan Galloway at uh, at 3,700. He's going to absorb some of these minutes that Lance Stevenson was playing. He's actually averaging 28 minutes himself over the last three games, only for 16.5 points. But 28 minutes is key, and I don't know if Goodwin's going to be able to just step in and absorb all of Lance's minutes and or if Heald's going to be able to do it or each one more. I think Galloway's going to maintain his role that he had and maybe even get a little bit more on top of that. So 3,700 makes him a good tournament guy to have a look at. At shooting guard, Clay Thompson, we know that he's had struggles. He's at 5,700. He's a tournament, guy option, but a tournament option only, but as it is with Steph, um, blowout factor is at risk there. I like each one more at 4,400. Similar reasons that I mentioned for Langston Galloway. So look at him. Bud healed it at four thousand. I'm not. I'm not keen on uh, on him either. Patrick McCaw is questionable with his ankle sprain. If he doesn't play, then maybe you get a little bit of Ian Clark in blowout times, and he becomes a, a punt option. We've seen him have a big game already this season. But aside from that, it doesn't have much of an impact. The small forwards: Kevin Durant's at nine thousand eight hundred. If you've saved that money up, I would rather spend it on Durant uh, on Harden. I would rather spend it on Westbrook. But if you've got some more cash, yeah, I think. Even in a blowout, I think you're going to get 42, 43 points out of Kevin Durant at least, which makes for a relatively safe floor. He could also go and score 35 in the first half and have the game over by halftime. And yeah, he is the cause of the blowout because that's what we've seen so far from him this season. So I think he's a better option than Steph and a little bit more reliable in this game. Solly Hill at 3,900. Quietly, he's getting value back. 21 average over the last three. Um, had 24 in the last game. He's less than 4,000. Are you are you super excited to use Solomon Hill? You shouldn't be. But you know, when the value is sort of there, you, you have to pay it in, pay it, pay cons- take it into consideration. I don't know what they're going to do with Dante Cunningham. He missed one game from a suspension from a DUI. Now the game before that, he was uh, he was a starter and played five minutes. The game before that, he was a starter and played 38 minutes. Terrence Jones stepped in and was productive. I don't know what they do with Cunningham. Do they start him again? Do they leave him on the bench? Do they C D him? I don't know. I don't understand a lot of Alvin Gentry's thinking. So obviously, we don't want to use Dante Cunningham, but he impacts what Terence Jones can do. He dropped 45 in the last game, Jones. He's at 4,400. The salary's risen. I think Gentry's going to play him a decent chunk of minutes, maybe even get to 30. So Jones should definitely be in your tournament consideration. But it is Gentry, so anything could still happen. Draymond Green, shout out to Lee Ellis. Draymond Green at $8,400. Mm. Curry, Durant, Thompson, the same story. It, maybe it's a blowout. He's got a relatively safe floor, but it's not. It's, he's not awesome. There are, better, there are better options out there, but again, the cash is around. Maybe you want to look at him, but there's another power forward in the next game at a similar price that I would prefer. Tony Davis, 10900 Been a little bit... Down and the salary is dropping as a result. Um, he's been good against Golden State in the past. I think that this is a, a good spot to use uh, to use Davis at ten thousand nine hundred. With the centers, Zaza Pachulia, Omer Ashik, Could there be a less inspiring group of centers if they if anyone tried? No, is the answer to that question. The last game of the night: the Detroit Pistons and the Los Angeles Clippers. The Clippers are favored by eight and a half points, and the total is one ninety-seven and a half at point guard Chris Paul is at 9100 he's been playing sensationally well fueled by a lot of steals but 9100 is uh, is a decent price for him probably not him on my top level of point guards but still there Ishmith Smith at 5700 he's been doing better lately but still I'm not I'm not massively keen Austin Rivers no Beno Udry, 3600 for Udri mm. Maybe. He's, he has struggled to, to give value back despite that significant role and his use as an assist guy in, in seasonal leagues. Ray Felton is uh, out, of, out of the topic of conversation. Shooting guards, Cantavius Caldwell-Pope at 4,700. He had a bit of a stinker in the last game after a couple of strong games at 4,700. It's not a good matchup for him, but I don't hate it. I also don't love it. 39 for JJ Redick. He's not really doing anything positive at the moment and the matchup against uh, Caldwell-Pope is not enticing. Jamal Crawford at 4400, he becomes a tournament play to me. He's done historically well against Detroit. He's he's worth worth a tournament flyer, I think. Small forwards Marcus Morris at 6000 just feels a little bit too high for me, not not keen there. Stan Johnson, Luke Marmute, Wes Johnson, there's no interest in them. Now, the power forwards. I like Johnny Lua at 4,200. You're going to get 27 minutes out of him, and you should be able to get 23 points out of him basically every night. So he is a nice guy to look at, even in a cash setting to enable you to put Davis next to him or put Harden in the backcourt. You can get those 24, maybe even get to 26, 27 points from Johnny Lua. Toby Harris at 6,100. Not not interested at that price, and Blake Griffin at eight thousand five hundred. I think forty points is a reasonable expectation for Blake. Maybe a little bit less, but eight thousand five hundred, that's where I want to spend my eight thousand. Rather than uh, Draymond Green, as I referenced earlier, at center DeAndre Jordan's at sixty nine hundred. The salary is dropping, dropping. His production's been poor, but this is a real opportunity for him to uh, to really get things going not sure that hacking is going to be a problem when it's Andre Drummond versus DeAndre Jordan because if one starts hacking then the other starts hacking and we're going to be here for six hours and I imagine the coaches will have a little bit of a a head nod moment like we won't do this so you won't do this because otherwise we're going to be here all night so I don't think that's going to be a problem I think this is a real opportunity for, for Jordan to have a big game we saw Brook Lopez take Andre Drummond apart big opportunity for him as for Drummond not a bad opportunity for him either. He was massive in the last game, had 49 points. He's at 8,200. I would rather take Jordan and save the $1,300, but Drummond remains a tournament option who can go for 45, can go for 50 points, and that would uh, that would be pretty interesting. All right, let's have a look now at the DFS picks of the day. Bring them up on the screen for you. On Fangio, we're looking at Langston Galloway at 3,700 as a tournament play. Lord Alfred Payton at 58 and Russ at 11,700. With the shooting guards, Etwan Moore at 4,400, Brad Beal at 54, and Jim Harden at 11,800. With the small forwards, Otto Porter 49, Kev Durant, oh sorry, Aaron Gordon at 58 and Kev Durant at 9,800. Power forwards, Johnny Lua 42, Mark Keefe at 58 and Blakey Griffin at 8,500. And the center. Centers. The process is at 5,000. Martin Gortat's at 59 and Andre Drummond at 82. Over on DraftKings, we've got Len Galloway at 3,000. Tournament minimum salary. I like that. Kemba Walker's at 74 and Chrissy Paul's at 85. For the shooting guards, Jamal Crawford's at 39, Brad Beals at 56 and Jim Harden is at 11,700. With your small forwards, Bob Cove, Robert Covington is at 4,200. That makes a really enticing tournament play. Otto Port is at fifty three and Durant is at ninety nine hundred. Power Forwards Demontis Sabonis at thirty six, Marquis fifty nine and Blake Griffin's at eight thousand and the centres, Bismack Biombo thirty-six. Now Joel Embiid is up to fifty seven hundred on DraftKings, so it's a big, big price rise. I think I like it still in a tournament, but it makes me a little bit risky in cash and Andre Drummond at eighty one hundred over there, as I mentioned, more of a tournament guy than a uh, than a cash option. Alright. We're done for today's podcast. Apologies for the length of today's show. Check out the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network. Check out me on Twitter at RedRock_Bball and Basketball Monster at BaskMonster. tracks, if you're looking to start a league, go over there and do it. If you get a chance and you're on iTunes, leave a review for this show. I would be tremendously grateful for. Every, I am tremendously grateful for everyone who's done that and for everyone who continues to do that. So, if you've got a spare second, that would be uh, that would be awesome also another way that you can help the show out. go and subscribe to the there's a locked on NBA channel feed you can find that on on uh, on audio boom. If you subscribe to that as well it downloads the podcast twice and that's that's a bonus for getting the show numbers up there so that would be great if you could do that as well. you don't have to listen to it twice just the downloads is uh, would be great as well. Thank you for listening. Oh let's try that again. Thank you so much for listening everyone. See ya. Jimmy Butler.